And we are back with our resident sexologist, uh, Jane, Dr. Jane Fleischman. And, well, you know what? Who better to ask? Jane Fleischman, what's love got to do with it? <laughs> I love that song. Thank you for playing that, Dan. Hi, Buzz. Hi, Dan. Hi, Bill. So nice to be back with you. And, you know, we've been having some great discussions, I think. Well, I don't know. I've been enjoying my discussions with I you. I always enjoy discussions About desire. A couple of months ago, we talked about the, this idea of discrepant desire. And it's the number one problem that people go to sex therapy for, that in a couple, one person kind of wants it more than the other person. That's probably the easiest way to describe discrepant desire. And then last month, we talked a little bit about the difference between responsive desire and spontaneous desire, this sense that it doesn't always just happen like that, like in the movies, but sometimes you have to think about what's going on. So that's all been about couples, but I wanted to talk about individuals today because I know a lot of your listeners are people who are either single because they have not found a partner or maybe their partner and they split up or maybe someone died or there's been... Or single by choice. Exactly, and so... I thought maybe today I'd really focus much more locally on the individual. And so whether you're in a relationship or not, these all pertain to you. And I'm loving this new book that I've been reading about desire, an inclusive guide to navigating libido differences in relationships by two really interesting um, sex researchers and sex therapists. And I'm passing the book over to Buzz because I know Buzz loves to take, you know, he loves to do his homework and he loves to be right. Now, there are no <laughs> quizzes today, Buzz. But I, I just th- want to point out that their uh, names are Lauren Fogel Mercy and Jennifer A. Vensiel, both doctors. Thanks. So let's talk about what happens on the individual or the personal level that might affect someone's sexual desire. So ready to talk? Ready to talk. How about you, Bill? Ready, ready on the firing line. Oh boy, yeah, he really that's is. What that's what we did. That's what we did. That was camp. It was camp. Never mind. <laughs> Bill, you're scaring me. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was it, never mind. It was it was about archery. I remember. Anyway. I remember. <laughs> Nobody's standing out in front of the um, arrows. So, what right. individual factors could you two imagine? Or Dan, you're you're in it. You're in the game too. What individual factors could you imagine that might affect someone's personal desire for whether or not they'd like to be sexual. Jane, I've got a headache. Okay, great, great. Headaches are a big, you know, and they may or may not exist, but they're there, right? Yeah. What about you, Bill? What are, what are some of the factors that you think might get in someone's way? Being tired. Tired, for sure. Uh, a lot of stress. And, and I mean, the question, my question is for you is about the question. Is the question real? In other words, is this an excuse you were looking for, or are there real reasons people don't no, real reasons. want to engage? I mean, okay, yeah, well, I think yeah. there are there are physical reasons. Yeah. I'm tired, I got a headache. Sure. And then there's, um, I'm tired, I got a headache because I don't really feel like it. Great. And, you know, tired, being stressed, or bringing home the work stress that we often do is a real downer, and it really mm-hmm. is an impediment to wanting to be romantic or sexual or close with somebody else. Being distracted by problems, it's hard to get romantic. Absolutely. And and the distraction is sometimes unavoidable because you're bringing it home because you haven't solved it at work yet. You're still thinking about it. 
What about you, Dan? Any other thoughts about what might get in somebody's way? It all feels like a chore. Totally. It feels like a repetition, I think. Right. And that, you know, maybe maybe the partner that you've been having sex with has not really been proving to be someone who's interested in your satisfaction. And so it does become a chore. Or it becomes like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Okay. You know, in the next three minutes and then I can go, you know, whatever it is. And there's, you know, there's research on how long people actually have in their sexual moments. But to go back to the first one that you cited, Buzz, it's so interesting. You said, you know, people say I have a headache. In 2004, Beverly Whipple, who I love, who's been a great sex researcher and um, has done a lot of research on um, women's sexual response and uh, men's sexual response. And what she's found is that she and her colleagues did a meta-analysis of all of the studies up until that point that had um, discussed any kind of benefits of sexual um, uh, sexual interactions. And one of the most interesting things was that having an orgasm, now we know that not everybody will have an orgasm when they're having sex, but having an orgasm is actually a moment where the body releases a whole bunch of uh, neurotransmitters and hormones that are flooding the brain with good feeling. Oxytocin is one, we, we know about that. and. And what's really interesting about it, and also some of the endorphins, is that it actually acts as an analgesic. It acts as a pain reliever. And so if somebody says, oh, I got a headache, don't use my name, please, because I do I not... I got the aspirin. I, right, right. I do not want to get sued. But it is important that you know that, in fact, having that moment could relieve some of that that um, uh, pressure on the head. So that's interesting, right? But some, But some of the other stuff that you hadn't... Um, said yet, but I wanted to talk about in terms of the both the biological, the physiological, the, the psychological, and then the social, got it, is like on the physical side, you know, sometimes as people are aging, hormones can be changing, right? So um, somebody as old as me who has gone through menopause or andropause, you know, there's a way in which I don't have the same chemical response that I used to in terms of my hormonal balance because of estrogen uh, loss. Also, if people are on medications, it's another really interesting thing. And maybe, Buzz, when we come back from uh, the break, I wanted to talk a little bit about SSRIs and other um, uh, medications that people are on for stress or anxiety because that also can preclude that feeling of wanting to have desire. This is actually an extremely interesting and important conversation for a lot of people to be engaged in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We are going to be right back. We are talking to Dr. Jane Fleischman. <laughs> Anytime you choose, kick off your shoes. Rest More your Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we continue our conversation with Dr. Jane Fleischman, our show's resident sexologist and sex educator. And we've been talking about desire and when there is disparate desire, that is to say one person in a couple uh, is more interested than the other. The reasons that are, well, I don't want to use the word legitimate, that are real and then, well, reasons that are uh, pretextual. And you draw that distinction. And Dr. Fleischman, you've been telling us about some of the real reasons 
why people may not feel like engaging, notwithstanding that they actually love their partner. So my question for you is, what is that allows people to get over those impediments, whether they are uh, medication or work anxiety or uh, other issues? What's the, what's the antidote for this? Bill, there's a whole bunch. And one of the things that we really want to remember is that there are four foundations for really creating any kind of sexual moment between people. And one is that time has to be a factor here. It could be a, you know, a quick thought, an image, a fantasy, a piece of music, a smell, something you find attractive, or a taste of something delicious or enticing. But time has to be set aside and focus, you know, people talk about mindfulness, Bill, right? They always talk about, you know, you've got to really sort of be present. Well, you know, for many years, I didn't even know what it meant. I wasn't even sure what being present was until I got that. I didn't realize that not being present meant that I was distracted, that I was not really in that moment. And so being able to focus and meaning, Bill, if our brains are too busy thinking about something else, that we can't focus and we can't stay in the present. Another part of it is that it's got to be pleasurable. It's got to be focused on pleasure and not obligation, or as Dan used the word, chore, right? You know, it's got to feel good on the body. You know, like a, like seeing about a foot massage, right? Something absolutely that could be not sexual, very sensual, or it could be very sexual, but it may or may not include something that was defined in a very heteronormative way of being sexual, like penetration. And finally, the very most important foundation of all, Bill, is that it's got to be consensual. It, or it will be painful or it could be traumatic. And everybody has to be in agreement on this. It can't be forced. And consent can change. It can be, yeah, I consented to this this morning, but I don't know about tonight. I'm not so sure about tonight. And so those are some of the really important core foundations that can get people beyond any of those biopsychosocial aspects like hormones or medications or pain or, you know, postpartum pregnancy is a really important thing to be looking at. Or, of course, trauma and all of the issues that go around trauma. And there's emotional issues that we can get over as well. But that might mean um, looking into getting some support and counseling and therapy. Um, you know, stuff like shame or um, grief and loss, etc. And, you know, there's other issues that come up for people, Bill, but people are really incredibly resourceful. You know, when people have had a surgery or um, have a, uh, had, uh, are dealing with a chronic disease, there are so many ways now that people are learning to adapt and figure out how to make their way through. Does that, does that help? It, it, it helps. Yeah. Somehow. Go ahead, Bill. <laughs> Bill. <laughs> Okay, I understand what you're saying, Dr. Fleischman. What I'd like to know is one partner says, well, I, I just don't feel it anymore. It's not like the way it was. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. And what, what do you say to them? So that's a really great question, Bill, because that happens all the time in long-term relationships. And people are looking at each other and saying, well, you know, I got laundry to do or, you know... <laughs> I got to make dinner, or I, I have this other project that I'd really love to be working on. If that's the case, then the people need to find a way to f 
to feel some connection with each other. And in that case, that's beyond me. I'm a sex educator. I don't, you know, I, I try to really stay in my lane. I'm not a clinician. I'm not a sex therapist. But there are so many wonderful sex therapists out there and couples counselors who can help people find their way back to a connection. But, Bill, the key is that it can't be forced, right? It has to be both parties are interested in doing that other activity that they used to enjoy so much. I have a friend who's a sex therapist. He says, let's think about it like lunch, right? If you're at home working together in the morning and you know one of you says, hey, let's have lunch together, make sex a little bit less weighty. Make it a little bit more like let's have lunch. And that's an interesting way of thinking about it. No, honey, I'd rather do the laundry. <laughs> so hey, find I, connection with yourself find once a joke that really did pay off for me is i came in i was holding a glass in one hand and two aspirin in the other and my wife said what is that for and i said your headache <laughs> that's great that's great but bill but, <laughs> but bill the most important thing about all this is you are responsible for your own pleasure you are the expert of your own body and your own time and your own way that your rhythms go um intercourse may not be the goal for everyone and there's no one size fits all approach use what works for you and just remember that consent is the key to all of this to making sure that no one ever feels forced bill last words in the 40 seconds we have left you want me to have the last word on sex matters with Dr. Jane Fleischman? I can't Come on, wait. Buzz, you're supposed to be I on, can't wait. on my side. <laughs> I'm ready, Bill. I'm ready. <laughs> I say thank you, Dr. Fleischman. It's always really <laughs> fascinating, and I really appreciate your time, expertise, and insights. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Buzz. Great you know, to be with you, we're, we're all a complex sort of uh, a team of uses and uh, and sexual us is really an important part of it thank you jane fleshman thanks guys thank you listeners this will be all again day.